This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse. I'm here again with our infectious disease specialist, Dr. Dean Blumberg. Dean, thanks for being here with us again. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Today, I would love to do a little bit of an update on COVID and maybe just a sprinkle of monkeypox. So we've heard a lot of talk about the pandemic being over. What are your thoughts on this? And where are we with COVID infections right now? Yeah, I I think it's wishful thinking that people want it to be over. So people are saying that it's over. I want it to be over, too. I really want COVID to be over, let me tell you. But um, I'm just not quite sure that we're there yet. I think we're getting there. We're at a really good place now. Most of the U.S. has seen a very low rate of COVID transmission, but we do expect it to increase. When I think about COVID being over, I think about it not disappearing like SARS-1, which disappeared amazingly enough, but that it stays with us but enters a more seasonal pattern like influenza and that we're used to it and it doesn't cause such severe disease as it did early in the pandemic when nobody had any immunity to it. So that's what I'm expecting. We haven't had a regular season yet with COVID. And so until we see that, I just don't think it is over. And then the variants too are are a wild card with that. Are we still seeing new variants developing? And how is this going to flow with our seasonal booster shots? Yeah, so the the new variants, they're changing all the time. We just went through the BA4, BA5 wave. And there's always variants of concern that people are looking at. Um, The one that seems to be on the rise is the BQ1.1 and the BQ.1. And those are increasing. Those are about doubling in proportion in the U.S. the past three weeks or so every week for the past three weeks. And we're also seeing those increase relatively rapidly in the U.K., Um, in the Netherlands and other parts of Western Europe. And what we've seen in the U.S. is when we see an increase in Western Europe, that generally the same pattern follows in the U.S. So we do expect that. And you just never know with the development of the new variants, because if they are far enough away from the currently circulating strains, then people will be susceptible to reinfection relatively soon after they've had their latest immunization or previous infection also. So the vaccines do work very well to prevent severe disease such as that causing hospitalization and death, but they only seem to last about three, four, five months or so. And I don't know that anybody wants to get a shot every four or six months. So what would be nice, again, is if COVID ends up being over, meaning it ends up being in a seasonal pattern, then we can get to what we're doing with influenza and get one shot every year, hopefully updated to the predicted circulating strain to provide the best protection. But we're just not there yet. What about the severity of the disease? Because from my perspective in the emergency room, things have quieted down a little bit. But even the cases that I am seeing, I'm not seeing sick, sick people like I was with the first wave or even with Delta. Are these new variants milder? 
It's sometimes very difficult to tease out whether it's the specific variant that is causing more or less severe disease, because what we're seeing is these variants evolve over time, and then the levels of immunity within communities also change over time due to vaccination and previous infection. I think most of the mildness of the disease, it's explained best by having a relatively high rate of immunity within our community. So at this point in the pandemic, people who are 6 or 12 months or older, virtually everybody has been infected and or immunized at this time. And that previous immunity is going to make for milder infection. In terms of numbers of infection, do you think we're seeing another surge coming? Or what do you think we can expect for this fall winter season? You know, the models that I look at suggest that we're going to see an increase in transmission, an increase in the number of cases starting at the end of October and then increasing over the next couple months. Um, the one I particularly think has been good is the University of Washington model. And people can take a look at that for the U.S. as a whole or, or by state. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll link to that one as well in the show notes. Right now, I think we're already starting to see that. The ED has been packed with people, especially kids, with various respiratory viruses. And most of them are actually testing negative for COVID right now. Are we expecting a more severe cold and flu season all around? Yeah, I think so. I mean, things have been so wacky related to community transmission of respiratory and other viruses because of all the masking and the social distancing over the past couple years. And what that's led to is that there's a lot of susceptibility to these pathogens. People haven't been getting them at the normal time in their lives. So we've seen this with, for example, parechovirus, where almost every kid got it. Now we're seeing waves of parechovirus, and we're seeing some enterovirus and RSV being transmitted out of season. So we are seeing more cases, I think, because of more susceptibility. And then in terms of influenza specifically, we often look to the Southern Hemisphere to predict what we're going to see in the Northern Hemisphere. So in Australia, our summer is winter for them. So July and August are their peak influenza season, and they saw three times higher rates of influenza than normal, and the highest rate of influenza compared to the previous five years. So that's what we're worried about here, is that we're going to see a really bad flu season, probably because people haven't been getting flu over the past few years because of all the masking. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> so no, get your flu shot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I got mine today. Yeah, I got mine as well. Talk to me about the COVID vaccine, the new, relatively new bivalent vaccine. How is that different from the previous vaccines and how effective is it against the current variants? Yeah, so it's a really interesting approach. And this has been looked at earlier before even these newer formulations were done. So the advantage of doing this bivalent vaccine, combining the original strain with an updated strain, the total amount of the mRNA is the same as in the original vaccine. It's just half each the original strain and then half the BA4, BA5 mRNA coding for the spike protein. Um, this does result in boosting of the original strain neutralizing antibody. It results in a better boost for the latest strain, the BA4, BA5. But what's most interesting about it is it results in a broader, more diverse immune response. And so this is expected 
to protect even better against future variants that we haven't seen. And to me, that's the most exciting part of this approach, is that even as we get continued evolution, that this approach should provide better protection against viruses that we haven't even detected yet. So who should get the bivalent vaccine? Is it available to everyone right now? It's available to five years of age and older right now in the U.S. under the emergency use authorization. It should be given to people who've completed their primary series of COVID vaccines and then no matter how many previous boosters they've had. And it should be at least two months since their last COVID vaccine. And of course, those who've had recent COVID infection, um, the interval is recommended to be three months since you're probably protected for 90 days after infection. What about some of the treatments and preventative meds that are out there? Are we still using the same things we were using before? Are they still as effective? And what else is available? Yeah, the remdesivir continues to be a good option. We've been giving that for treatment for inpatients. It's also available to give to outpatients for prevention um, and to make it less severe. Of course, that's awkward because it's three infusions, three different days. But for some of our patients who don't have other options, we've done that. Paxlovid, the oral therapy, is still effective. It's five days of oral therapy, and this decreases the risk of death for those over 50 by um, more than four times. And then you don't have to get any parenteral therapy, so I think that's a real advantage. The only monoclonal that continues to work well for patients is the bebtilovimab. The other ones appear to not work as well. So that's an option for those who maybe can't tolerate Paxlovid, for example, or as you know, the Paxlovid has a lot of drug interactions. So for patients who have um, other comorbidities and are on other drugs, then that's an option also. What about this preventive medication that's out there, Evisheld? Yeah, the, you know, the CDC has been trying to push that because it's really severely underused. And so that's for patients who may have compromised immune systems or for any other reasons that you don't think they're going to respond well to COVID vaccines. And it's really underutilized. The CDC estimates that less than 10% of patients that could benefit from this are receiving it. Now let's shift gears a little bit here and let's talk about monkeypox. Where are we with monkeypox? We were hearing a lot about this and now reports seem to have died down a little bit. It seemed that in the U.S., the number of cases, the daily cases that were reported peaked in early August. And then since then, there's been a steady decline in the number of cases. So again, it seems like we've turned the corner with monkeypox. The real question I have is, is it going to be endemic? Is it going to linger? Or is it possible that it can be eliminated from the population? And that's, that's something I'm just not sure about. So there is still a vaccine that's being offered, correct? Yeah, the Janeos vaccine is being offered. Initially, it was in very short supply. The manufacturers really ramped up production of the vaccine. And then the number of doses have been stretched by changing from intramuscular dosing to the um, intradermal dosing. And who should get that vaccine? You should check with your state and local health departments to see what their indications are. In general, it should be given to those people who are gay, bisexual, other men having sex with men, transgender or binary, who have had a sexually transmitted infection in the last six months, and then people who've had sex in the last six months at commercial or public venues. 
those are the usual indications, as well as people who anticipate experiencing those risks. Do we know how effective the vaccine is, and are there any major side effects or contraindications? You know, the CDC recently released a study that showed that for those who received the vaccine, just one dose out of the two-dose series, that after 14 days, it decreased risk of infection by more than 90% compared to unvaccinated. Now, that being said, you know, this wasn't a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. And you can imagine that the people who were afraid of getting monkeypox, who were seeking out vaccination, that they might have also changed their risk behaviors. And so they might be less at risk because of that. But in any case, it's still good to see the decreased risk of infection after vaccination. The side effects are relatively well tolerated. There can be puritis, erythema at the injection site, some nausea, fatigue, um, myalgias after vaccination, but it's generally been well tolerated. Well, Dean, this has been an excellent update. Any final words of advice as we head into cold and flu season? Yeah, I just, you know, I worry about the flu this season. I mean, you know, in addition to the COVID, um, to the new variants that are coming, I'm I'm worried that we're going to get slammed with influenza this season. So we'll just hold our breath and wait and, of course, encourage people to be vaccinated and hope for a good match because that's always, you know, it's, it's a spin of the wheel to see if the vaccine is going to be a good match with circulating strains. So take the advice from the expert, get your flu shot, get your bivalent vaccine and fingers crossed through the winter. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Dean. Thank you. Thank you. 